Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III, and, well, I'm dying. Oh, is that so? <laughs> I have COVID. Oh, and you're recording remotely. But, wow, the, the suspense, the thrills are alive. I love this. You could you could go any minute. Well, I'm only here so I won't get fined, as they say. Oh, I you see. Know? I missed last week. <laughs> Two in a row. Tommy might have something. The branding to say. is falling apart. People won't remember your name. I'm Lewis Fertel. I'm also the host of Keep It. Um, it's finally back to original recipe. Keep it. It's been too long since both Ira and I jabbered about the discourse, and um, we're ultimately wrong. <laughs> but instead, we are messing with the formula this week because we have a co-host. He has been here before. Uh, he's a hilarious comedian, hilarious writer, and screenwriter. I forget what projects of his we can mention because everybody's on strike and we're all going to jail if we do the strike wrong. Um, but he is in the Time 100. Jesus. It's crazy to have actually accomplished people here. And he also happens to be a friend of ours. It's Joel Kim Booster. Welcome back to Keep It. Hello. I'm so glad to be here. I was um, expecting... I were to be gone, and I was going to be involved in the coup. <laughs> yes. Um, There's always next week. But very happy, happy to be here as a guest alone. I have actually been really enjoying this era of everyone talking about things that they want to sort of promote. Not even their own projects. It's mostly been people online being like, like Michelle Buteau has a new show on some streaming network, which I really enjoy. Uh, and our friend Solomon worked on it. Um, there's so many posts from people being like, well, I know that SAG is on strike, but I really want to support my girl and her show. So you should go and watch it. And it rhymes with this word. Sounds above board to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the the feeling that I have in the pit of my stomach right now during the strike is exactly the same feeling I had during lockdown. Um, like, I'm just, I'm so, so fucking bored yes. that it is unbelievable. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's the same thing of like, I, why am I, like, I go out, I pick it, I come home and it's like 2 p.m. and I'm smoking a blunt and playing a video game. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, it, it seemed fun. <laughs> It seemed fun for like the first two weeks, and now I'm so desperate for literally any sort of stimulation beyond 
just sitting on a couch with my boyfriend. I feel like when you go to the picket line, basically you have to plan to have a picket buddy and make it a different one than you've had previously where you spend most of your time walking with them so that you have like a unique experience on the line because otherwise it's just patrolling and unfortunately talking to the same people and also avoiding the same people on the line. It reminds me of going to warehouse parties in LA where I'm like, okay, you made that once in 2017. I cannot do it seven more times. I cannot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, I I was at the beginning of the strike, very into, you know, socializing and and having my, my walking buddy for the first part, but I have now like devolved straight up into my earbuds are in. I'm holding a sign. I'm listening to keep it or some other culture podcast. And when it, the podcast is over, that's when I know it's time to go home. You know? <laughs> I've never thought of just taking air, but I guess that when you walk Disney, there's a lot of space to do that. So maybe yeah, I should put my space, AirPods yeah. in there and, you know, get into podcasting. There's nowhere to hide in New York. You know, that's, it's true. I, we've talked about this, but it's like, there's, there's truly like two, two, two like steps that you're walking and you're just repeating it because we have so little sidewalk to walk in front of any place that we pick it. Oh yeah. I, I, when I was in New York, we, I picketed in front of the upfronts and it was just, wow, you were on a slim, like a balance beam basically with everybody else. You're walking around a hot dog cart. We were walking around that (laughs) hot dog cart basically. (laughs) Uh, Have you seen any, have you seen any celebs? lately because i'm seeing like colin farrell the paps are getting him the paps are getting the hot guy from the bear i do not remember his name hot gene wilder is his name oh that's right jeremy (laughs) allen white yes Mm -hmm. short king short king's having a moment i'm still getting over the first day i was on the line i saw natasha leone and i didn't realize she was like one foot seven or something i'm like i'm still blown away at tiny celebrities it, my thing is, is that I'm I'm surprised after, you know, four years of living in L.A., I still get a certain kind of starstruck for someone, for only specifically people who you know probably aren't getting recognized a lot. Like, the way I lost my shit when I saw Dermot Mulroney on the line. Um, and it's like, I haven't thought about Dermot Mulroney in years, and yet... Seeing him live and in person, it really made me, I don't know, something something inside me shifted. Um, and I had to, I was with Guy Branham, actually. And Guy Branham is the perfect person. You want Guy Branham with you when you see a celebrity because he will, he has no qualms about being like, Dermot Mulroney, come and get a picture with us on the line. <laughs> and Guy will go through all his IMDb credits like at the drop of a hat yeah. too. So he'll he'll keep you updated really quick on that. Um, D- Dermot Mulroney, by the way, and he was in The Last Scream, correct? Yes, yes. That was a performance yeah. that started off, I don't know if you're right for this. And then by the end, I was like, you're the best performance in this movie. I love a head fake. I thought he was a really good killer. Yes, he was oh, a good go killer. There was a lot of fun there, but I think he he sort of tipped it a little um, immediately for me in the, in the uh, movie. Dermot Mulroney is somebody who you do sort of wonder why he didn't blow up in a bigger way. And then you watch My Best Friend's Wedding and you're sort of like, I see why he didn't blow up in a bigger way. I just feel like he's somebody who always reminds you of three other actors. He's sort of like what, yeah. what I ca- what I call an Emily Blunt. I'm like, you're very talented. <laughs> but like, unfortunately, life has done this thing to you where you always remind me of Katy Perry and uh, Rachel Brosnahan and whomever. You know, there's always, 
there used to be an actress whom I'm obsessed with. I used to bring her up all the time on this podcast. Jean Simmons, who is probably best known from uh, Guys and Dolls. Uh, but she's in like Spartacus and uh, she's in the Lawrence Olivier Hamlet. She unfortunately looks exactly like a hybrid of Vivian Lee and Elizabeth Taylor, who are, of course, more accomplished and more um, famous than she is. And I always felt like that held her back. Yeah. Really stretching the definition of widely known there. Lewis. <laughs> There's even a more famous Gene Simmons than Gene Simmons. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Okay, we need, Ira, we need to get into the tragedies of this week. The, Keep It Often is about pop culture, but mostly it's a podcast that should be called Who Died? Because we get into Who Died. And uh, this week, a who was somebody I'd call it Gen X icon, but icon anyway. I mean, you'd be, if, if you didn't know, nothing compares to you. And the uh, incident on Saturday Night Live where she tore up a picture of the Pope, and by the way, said the word evil as she did it. Um, it was not ambiguous, the intention behind doing this. Uh, Sinead O'Connor, to me, one of the most important artists of my lifetime. Ira and I did an episode once where we talked about no skip albums, and I picked uh, "I do not, uh, I, I don't, I do not want what I haven't got" by Sinead O'Connor. Um, this is somebody who had a fucking strange and hard life. This is somebody who survived abuse, uh, and her entire discography and uh, life of interviews is filled with conscience and empathy. Even though she's known as a firebrand and an iconoclast, which she is. Uh, I was devastated by this. What are your guys' recollections of Sinead O'Connor? I mean, so I remember Sinead O'Connor, obviously the thing that sticks out the most in my mind is ripping up a picture of the Pope. I remember sitting at home watching SNL in syndication. And um, and also, like, this was... A, the, the, the big one for me was she was a fixture on, like, I love the 80s, I love the 90s. Oh, sure. Um, and so that is where, like, most of my pop culture from that time as a homeschooler came from. But I remember Sinead really brought together my family and the Catholic church because we were, we grew up evangelical. So we were very anti-Catholic. And yet this somehow, this event somehow brought our family together with the Catholic church. And we all just <laughs> oh, that's that too she bad. Was, she was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't until I was an adult that I was really introduced to her music. And then suddenly, you know, it all came sort of f- full picture for me in terms of, of how important she actually was. But it's strange to me that she didn't have um, a bigger rehabilitation moment in the current era, you know? Like, obviously, I think, like, a public opinion has shifted pretty, you know, far away from the Catholic Church in recent memory. And it's, 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 it's surprising to me that Twitter didn't revive her career in a bigger way before she passed. I think it's fair to say, and she said this herself, people said, oh, you threw away your career with that moment or whatever. And she said, no, what actually happened is I shifted into being dependent on being a live performer. And, and she was always so dynamic as a live performer. I saw her in concert in, I think, uh, 2012 or 2013. And she was still wailing and hitting the notes as, as she did on her debut on The Lion and the Cobra in 87. Um, and also she is sort of like a Linda Ronstadt or a Joni Mitchell in that she was never beholden to any music styles of the time. Like literally in her biggest moment with nothing compares to you, which of course is a fabulous Prince cover. She followed that album with an, uh, album of jazz and pop standards. She then had a, a reggae album at some point. This is somebody who did an, uh, a, an album of old Irish folk songs. Like it was just wherever the muse took her and she was never determined to be, you know, uh, she didn't. She didn't put out like a, a major rock album in the time of Jagged Little Pill, for example. She was always doing mm-hmm. her own thing, um, and uh, f- fabulously so. Ira, are you? Um, I, I. I think I tried turning you to Sinead O'Connor super fan, and you selfishly stayed in your lane at the time. 
You know, um, I did um, do a pilgrimage to Ireland. You know, <laughs> I tried to. And you only um, found Samantha Mumba. I, <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I only found Samantha, only found Colin Farrell, you know, making Again? one of those. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but I do like her. I actually really did enjoy I mean, I guess she didn't really have sort of like Joel was asking, like like a sort of like resurgence or sort of like um, thing of people like re sort of reevaluating her career. But she was like really funny online. Jesus, is she funny? Like she, she loved to tweet. Uh, and so that was just a weird thing, like rediscovering about her. What I really enjoyed was um, people circulating, obviously, that letter that she had written to um, Piers Morgan after he was trying to get her on his show after her son, like, committed suicide, which is, like, he's such a fucking ghoul. But um, she was just like, you know, like, I don't want to go on the show because um, you wouldn't even be thinking about me. You'd be thinking about the fact that you really just want to fuck Meghan Markle. (laughs) You know? Like, you're obsessed with her. Uh, And... He responded uh, because he's su- such an idiot. He uh, had the time. I can't being, believe it. Yeah, he yeah he was like, um, "Oh, you're so funny, Sinead. Like, ha, ha. like, uh, like, like they were in on the joke together when like clearly she hated this man. Um, and it was weird seeing him this week too, just going on about how much he loves Sinead O'Connor, etc. And I was like, that bitch did not like you. <laughs> yeah, right. Not begging for the Pierce Morgan appraisal of Sinead O'Connor's uh, career. Um, uh, before moving on, of course, to Pee Wee Herman, I just want to say there are several tracks uh, in Sinead's discography that have gone way under the radar. Fire on Babylon. The other song she performed when she was on SNL was from that album of standards, and it's a cover of a Loretta Lynn song called Success, which was uh, rebranded Success Has Made a Failure of Her Home. Great recording. Um and she has a song called No Man's Woman. How was that not on the, uh, the charts when that came out? An awesome empowerment anthem. Very hardcore feminist. In, a bit, in addition to being hardcore in general, love Sinead O'Connor. Pee Wee Herman. Another, like, from the same era, really. Like, Pee Wee's Playhouse is really from the same time as uh, Sinead's uh, coming out. I was, I just want to say, first of all, the amount of comics who apparently had a very close relationship with Paul Rubens. I did not know how sweet a man he was. Everybody from Kathy Griffin to... Lorraine Newman, who are both in the Groundlings, just uh, which is the L.A. Uh, comedy troupe uh, club that uh, uh, Paul Rubin started in. Uh, Adam Shankman, the director, and my friend, he was recounting how uh, rad a person he was. Somebody who I'm sure when he started this character as a, as a live act, Pee Wee Herman, he did not think it would come to really represent a quality in people of daffiness and irreverence and fun. And I think afterwards, uh, in reevaluating how far this character went in both movies and on his TV show, really became kind of an anthemic sort of guy. Uh, and there's no second one of Paul Rubens. If you're a fan of if you're a fan of Pee Wee Herman, you could only get more Pee Wee Herman to get that fix. That you know, it, it, just a daffy, rad, um, hilarious character. And Paul Rubens, a hilarious actor. I'm thinking of his uh, stint on Thirty Rock as the a Habsburg prince who is just a complete mess and uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, he's the best part of um, like um, the original Buffy movie too, which he right. plays a vampire in. Uh, like his, if you haven't seen his death scene in that movie where uh, Christy Swanson like stabs him with a stake and he does this full like 
five minute extended death scene where he's like crawling on the floor and kicking the wall. Like he's, he was so funny. Um, and it was nice seeing him do things beyond Pee Wee Herman, which is really interesting because I feel like he is an omnipresent sort of pop culture figure, but I don't know that I was necessarily obsessed with Pee Wee Herman, like the show. Maybe I was as a kid and I would watch it, but I feel like maybe I recognize like the animated series that they had more um, that I feel like was on Fox Kids or something um, than like the actual show. I feel like our specific age was sort of like we're right like six years past too young. Yes. Paying attention to that. I mean, I remember the movie um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you know, one of Tim Burton's greatest films. Um, but even that, I feel like I discovered that later after I was already a Tim Burton fan. The magic to me really came when he did um, a few years ago. I feel like he did a uh, he did like a Broadway version of Pee Wee, uh, and that show was really like moving to me. It's funny though. I feel like I also feel like I was slightly too young to get into Pee Wee's Playhouse as a live action thing. I think it actually sort of terrified me when I was. It is a little scary. He is scary. Yes, and and the the other characters are scary. Yeah, the characters are scary. But I do think that like if you look at all comedians of my generation, you can draw a pretty Mm. clear straight line from Pee Wee's Playhouse to a lot of like to like honestly like Eric Andre. You know, mm-hmm. like I think like mm-hmm. a lot of like the adult swim sensibility of alt comedy that has po- popped up in recent years is is in part like he has so many sons and daughters out there who are doing the same thing and just like tweaking it slightly to make it more palatable to a, a modern audi- audience. But I think like you you see a lot of his influence in um, comedy that is not aimed at children. It is aimed at adults today. He is that wild combination of it's for little kids and also adults. You know, yeah. just like it, the subversion is so clear uh, to any but, to any but adult But not watching. in like a yeah. Pixar way no. in, mm-hmm. in any way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there is no like, it is not, you know, aimed at getting adults to feel nostalgic for childhood. It is about like a sense of play yes. that is childlike, but is being applied in a very specific way as an adult. Definitely. Um, no, these are two... Uh, two, two pop culture figures again there's no second one of these people and I'm I'm always I think we should always make sure to commemorate what makes these people individuals because we won't get that thing again it's like appreciate fucking Cher while she's still here and um, it's it makes me sad to actually have to commemorate she's them only after they go she's not going yeah. <laughs> there okay. Will be, yeah okay <laughs> I keep thinking of that uh, <laughs> I love how Madonna continues to churn out um, iconic pop culture moments uh but I kept thinking about recently and seeing people share it. Remember the the clip where she's like, um, David Bowie, gone. Uh, yes. Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson, gone. But I'm still here. <laughs> and it's like... Haunting you. Yeah. It's like, I'm the last icon. But of course, you know, like, Cher's probably watching that like, bitch, I'm going to live longer than you. <laughs> also, she definitely would start the sentence with bitch. I don't think any human being has started more sentences with bitch than Cher. But anyway, we have uh, a huge show to get to. Uh, We are going to talk about, strangely, Project Runway, which we are all watching. And I think we'll get into a discussion of these now legendary uh, reality TV shows that still are on. 
um, and that maybe even peaked in relevance something like 15 years ago and what they bring to the table now. Uh, we will also talk about celebrity breakups, uh, our favorites ever. Uh, we're still in this time where we're processing how Ariana and SpongeBob could do this to us, their lives. What they I don't know if you feel jilted or what, but we're going to get into that. And then also, <laughs> Allie and AJ are here. Did I get that right? Allie and AJ are here. Yeah, you know, they had nothing better to do. They were like, let's come and talk to these faggots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, what is this? Okay. Uh, yes, we'll be back with more right after this. Healthcare is a human right, and that means the only pills anyone should be paying for are the kind with little happy faces on them. You know, the kind that make you feel so excited, so excited, so excited, so scared. <laughs> for a minute, I thought you were doing a Pointer Sisters reference, but you were doing a Elizabeth Berkeley reference. Uh, never the twain shall meet. Only fun drugs should cost money. Teas and stickers are available now at the Crooked Store to help you spread the word. Call me crazy, but I think getting a life-saving medication should not be more expensive than a fun night where you mistake the rug for a giant cat. Ugh, been there time and again. Head to crooked.com slash store to get your new favorite tea and a sticker to cover the health insurance logo on that free water bottle. Okay, but can Crooked start selling some of the fun drugs? Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get into the real business. Meet me in an alley, Favreau. <laughs> <laughs> So it's starting to feel like The View here because we're talking about reality TV. <laughs> uh, and I feel like that's all they do on that show now. Is that really? I forget to check in with The View. I Like, who's on it at this point? Is it like the grandchildren of Meredith Vieira? Who's there? I mean, Whoopi Goldberg's still there, um, dressed like she's working in Catherine Hepburn's garden. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's got the flannels. Uh, she, she seems high as hell. Uh, and I, I would be too. <laughs> if I were hosting The View that long, like I feel like it would be maybe six years before I came to work just stoned every day. So, well, it feels like every couple of weeks a headline appears about something that Whoopi has said on The View, akin to basically like Whoopi Goldberg has had it. Um, <laughs> and Insert blank. Like, it's just always some tirade. Um, and it's always appreciated. I'm never not on Whoopi's side, but it does feel like she's a little over it. And also, that she's a good person to have had it because she's too tired to walk off the show. So she'll just sit there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so she can keep talking thinking, to her. <laughs> I was thinking about Whoopi yesterday because I was just thinking about, you know, like um, my grandmother's favorite movies um, for this essay I was writing. And um, I'm like, one thing she did love was like a fucking Whoopi Goldberg movie. Uh, and I was talking to her about how um, when I saw Jurassic Park as a kid, like it was the first movie that like I had ever been dropped off like to see by myself, like seeing my little dinosaur movie. And I was like, well, what movie did you see um, by yourself in the theater um, while I was seeing the dinosaur movie? And she couldn't recall. So I like was looking up the movies that were out then. And we figured out that she saw Made in America, mm. the Whoopi Goldberg, Ted Danson movie, where Nia Long is her daughter. Uh, and then Nia Long does some, like, test and finds out that her dad isn't black. 
And then Whoopi finds out that the sperm donor she used was a white man, and the white man was Ted Danson. Wow. Speaking of iconic celebrity breakups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> iconic. I, there are some familiar images from that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one is popping to mind right now. Let's get Mary Steenburgen Lewis, back here to out. unpack that. <laughs> I need to, You know what? I won't. I, go, I will go ahead and not do that. Lewis, you I should try you permission. that. <laughs> I'm sure the internet will concur. Yes. Yeah, it's we'll a put, trap. Yeah. We'll put that on the crooked grid. Right. <laughs> See what people have to say. Uh, but now uh, we're talking about reality TV today because season 20 of Project Runway is on. And it was funny when Joel um, suggested that we talk about that this week because I feel like I discovered this season was airing by like happenstance. I came home. Um, one night and i feel like we're in a weird we're in a weird bravo lull you know there's really just like the new roni uh and then like i'm kind of into um the new season of oc but atlanta's not really great this season and i'm like i'm not really watching as much bravo as i feel like i usually am and i was like well here's this whole season of project runway there was like six episodes at that point and i started it and I feel like I watched all six of those in one night because this season is fucking great. And it's since it's an all-star season, it has all of your favorites back. Uh, more favorites than I expected. I mean, like um, Rami Cashew is on the show and seeing him like walk in in that first episode, I was immediately taken back to like the season that he was on, like season four and thinking that he was the hottest man i had ever seen on tv at that point unbelievably hot and he's still incredibly hot he is still incredibly hot but i did turn to my boyfriend my boyfriend has never seen a season of project runway um Mm. except for maybe a few of the newer ones with but with uh miss claus and i um i was like oh he's really good he's really good he's one of the best ones and he has not been turning it out this season very much and i do find that i think i'm probably remembering him being really really good and he was great on his original season a finalist came in second to christian siriano but like i do think i was a little bit blinded by his hotness um in his original season well, I also, because he's not giving so much this season. I, I think th- I think the issue is though like as the seasons progress people it's like drag race people become aware of where they need to be super primed and you know when you're in the early seasons of a reality show particularly like project runway you don't really know the ins and outs of what's expected of you and now you have these people from season like 16 17 and 18 who work probably three times as fast as these original contestants did that said it is so amazing to see carousel who was a finalist from season one which i think is one of the greatest reality tv shows of all time period and this woman has not skipped a beat she is still the professional costumer she works on disney's descendants at the time she was on the show originally she was a costumer for eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter and that's a show that had cute clothes Um, and I just remember thinking at the time, like she was a very new type of reality contestant because it wasn't like American Idol where everybody necessarily came in as a total amateur, like a a pretty good singer from their hometown. This was an industry professional who was, uh, you know, worked in fashion, but still there was this ambition to be, you know, a name and a, a designer on her own right, not just making costumes for people. And I think that's what 
one of the uh, enduring and endearing things about Project Runway is it really humanized the industry of uh, the idea of working in fashion. You know, like I don't remember before that having any idea of what it meant to be a, a costumer, if that was at all possible. You know, the idea that there would be wannabes out there who aren't famous yet or um, working yet. Uh, and she is still turning it out on this show. I love her this season. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Bravo sort of pioneered, like, the professional class reality show. Definitely. I'm thinking of, mm. like, Top Chef as well. Like, I think, I feel like a lot of competition reality shows prior to these two shows really were about assembling an assortment of regular, everyday, quote-unquote, people to do physical challenges or or compete in some regard um, not connected to whatever they do professionally. Let us not forget yes. Sheer Genius. I fucking yeah. love that show. I love Jacqueline Smith as the host of it too. She was she was both a good host and completely aloof, which is I think you know what what I would call the Padma Lakshmi sna- standard. But it is it does feel like and and they've I think they've all but come out and said this that this is this is a test season. If this season pops off, they will continue Project Runway. If it does not, then this is sort of its big send off as well. Which I can't decide how I feel about that because the thing is, is I've watched I watch every Project Runway clone. I'm talking Making the Cut. Mm. I'm talking Next in Fashion. I'm talking The Hype. Um, which is HBO Max's um, short-lived reality show where they do just streetwear, which is really great. And the thing is, is you are sort of Mm. seeing the problems with the the Project Runway system that a lot of these other shows have fixed. And mainly, this is the biggest pet peeve that I have with Project Runway after watching these other shows, is these other shows have really moved on from expecting these designers to be also seamstresses as well. And it's, it's one of the central conflicts of a lot of these designers on Project Runway that you see, which is, are you a good seamstress or are you a good designer? And because these other shows now are farming out a lot of the work to seamstresses, like in making the cut specifically, I think was one of the first ones where they don't construct these garments. They really only just design them and then send them off to be constructed by a seamstress. And you're seeing that a lot in Project Runway this season where really good designers are going home or ending up in the bottom because they simply, especially the older designers who are from the earlier seasons who have really moved on from having to construct their own designs, you're seeing them struggle in a way that I don't think you'd see them struggle if they were given seamstresses to actually uh, bring some of these designs to life. And it's not particularly telegenic to see someone not be good at sewing either. So it's not yeah. like a, a a really compelling thing to watch on a reality Except show. Except I do wish that you still had to sew things on Drag Race. Yeah. That, that I do wish were... It's weird that like that was always the original element of Project Runway. And now we've gotten away from that in the fashion shows that we see now. And then it's weird that like RuPaul's Drag Race has sort of gone in that direction now too, where like it's just um, everyone comes in with like a glamorous outfit already made for them, which is not the reality for most queens who were initially cast on Drag Race because you sort of have to be on the show and get a name for yourself to then be able to afford to get outfits made for you. Well, that's almost a relic, too, of like project, uh, 
um, Drag Race started as an amalgamation of like a parody of every reality competition show yes. that was on mm-hmm. at the time. Like it really mm-hmm. did start as like a parody of America's Next Top Model and Project Runway and all of these other shows that were on at the time and like sort of aping the the beats mm-hmm. of uh, competition reality shows. And then it became its own thing slowly over time where it's, and I, and I think like that's like almost a holdover. Although you still do see the construction challenges on that show. It's just, you know, usually not, um, not, they're not giving a lot of the time now because they've lost the skill. <laughs> What's interesting is um, watch, re-watching Project Runway, a, a show that, by the way, still very much resembles its original format. Like, in certain ways, it still feels like it's 2006 when you watch that show. These shows, uh, this whole cluster of reality shows that still exist, American Idol, The Voice, etc., They've now, for me, taken the place of what uh, 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 this the brain space I reserve for something like The Price is Right, where something you would watch, and it's just nice that something that old and um, set in stone is still going on. You know, there's like this comfort level of, oh my God, it's still, it's like walking into a Panera. It's still 2004. (laughs) I, you know, it's like the the French onion soup is exactly the same, you know? It is, it is, it does give the exact same feeling that you have when you go to your hometown and visit the Barnes and Noble. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, it's just so deeply comforting. Yeah. I was just talking with um, our friend Riri was in a Barnes and Noble over the weekend. We were just going back and forth about, she goes, she, she goes, sitting culture. What happened to that? And I was like, I, sometimes you just want to walk into a place and see a, a large picture book of Tiger Woods on display. Who is buying that? <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's for everyone. Yeah. It's for everyone. Now, wait, this is, a, this is an interesting question about Project Runway now versus then is, do you miss Heidi and Tim? Um, well, it's, that's the biggest change. I, I have enjoyed the irony of Christian being the uh, mentor figure to people he competed against on the season. Like him talking yeah. to Ra- uh, mm. uh, Rami is is very interesting. It is weird though, like Christian Siriano on his season was known for being um, this quotable, quote unquote, personality. But I think he is a better designer than reality TV star. I enjoy yes. him. Um, mm-hmm. I, and, and by the way, his insights are extremely direct. Like people just up and abandon their designs and start anew when he tells them to do something, which is not Tim Gunn style. But yeah. um um, I, I I like him enough. I prefer Tim Gunn. And then in terms of host, Heidi, I think Heidi got a little cheesier as the show went on, um, as she became more producer Heidi than host Heidi. Yeah, I'm making sure. the cut. They were insufferable. Yeah, it is tough. I don't, I do miss sort of the pageantry of Tim Gunn occasionally, mm-hmm. but Christian is better at the job. Yes, right. If, yeah. if you're really looking at it. Like he is less, it is, and I do wonder if part of the reason he's less of a clown than he was, um, and I, I don't mean that pejoratively, but like less of a, like a reality TV show clown now, is that I do think he, he sort of got burned a little bit uh, with the way, like he, he was a, a reality show figure that could have only existed in 2008. You know, like the like he mainstreamed a, 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 a one specific word yes. in, in particular. <laughs> Hot tea mess. Yes, I don't mean to. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like mm-hmm. um, that. I mean, when we talk about him being quotable, like that's sort of the quote. You know, and like he certainly can't. I think he's. I think he's hyper aware of like that sort of being his rep going into this, and that's and he's calmed down as a person so much because of it. And he's done a lot to make amends for that. And I think like he is probably hyper aware of not wanting to be that guy again on television, this go around. 
He also, by the way, I just want to say, is fucking brilliant. I mean, like the clothes he has yeah. turned out over the years, like there would be a hole in fashion without him. Like just, he, he, he's somebody who takes the assignment of dressing not size zero bodies, not as a quote unquote challenge, but as the work. You know, he, I, I feel like he's been always like, let's make everybody look fucking awesome, you know? Yeah. Which is a, another big change to modern Project Runway that you didn't see in the older seasons, which it's interesting to see. They're, they're not, they haven't really made it a storyline. In previous seasons of new Project Runway, they've really made it a storyline of the some designers struggling because now they, all of the models are a mix of, body, of, of different body types. And you've seen in the past, they've made it a storyline that designers struggle with that challenge you're not really seeing it this season like they, no one's complaining about getting a different sized model than than the standard or anything like that but i do think that it is um it's exciting and i think that like christian was a big you know sort of reason for that change and is seeing them design for different bodies because it is a reality of of this industry now that like you know people ex- of all sizes expect to look fierce on the runway and when you think about, you know, I guess, you know, his quote unquote makeover from, you know, being the person who made that word famous. And now we see him in a completely different light. Um, he really has just sort of like carved out a space where it's it feels sometimes like it is only him. I mean, you know, like obviously there are plenty of designers, um, you know, who make um, clothes for all different body types, you know, but like people still think of him when they're like, you know, like. Like, I can't get, like, an outfit for this um, red carpet because, you know, like, this person won't dress me or it's last minute. The people still are always just sort of like, at Christian Siriano, can you help me? You know, yeah. like, he's sort of synonymous with that now. And I love him being on the show. I will say, I don't miss Heidi and Tim. But you know who I do miss is Michael Kors. Yes. Oh, unfortunately, he could boil it down to a fucking hilarious quote every time. Yeah. The critiques on the the critiques on the runway just do not hit as hard as they did when Michael and Nina were playing off of each other. Yeah. No one is focused really on the female crotch more than Michael (laughs) and despairing at a crotch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And his way with words, the way he would just describe. A garment was the funniest thing in the world. Barefoot Appalachian Lil Abner Barbie. Who can forget (laughs) that sequence of words? Like John Jacob Jiggleheimer Schmidt. She's a grandmother going to get some coffee and she um, ran into um, a lawnmower all the way. It's just like everything. It's it's just um, the other people just don't really have that for me, well, you know? And the la- the last thing I'll say on Project Runway 2 that is especially interesting about this season of All Stars because it is so many new people and so many old people is you really do feel the way that these shows have shifted. Like, if you remember in the early seasons of shows like Project Runway and, and Top Chef, it was so much about people living in a house and sort of the interpersonal conflict that also would come along with the competition and they're not mm. interested in that anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not, no. they're just not interested in it. Except you see the one person that's sort of a carrying over that vibe in this season is Corto a little bit. Oh. Like she is By the, the way, one. Kato C- is fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she yeah. is. Yeah. She went after Anna um, for like being like, well, she's just redoing the same fucking design. But then like, that's so interesting. That conflict was so interesting to me because like, if you are, 
trying to get a job like in the fashion industry, it's like you want to see someone's signature thing on the show. And these people have been like building signatures. Uh, but yeah, she is the one who's still sort of like giving you old school, messy competition drama. I mean, like I remember on Top Chef when like um, that infamous season of Top Chef where like they all bullied Marcel in the house. Yeah, they shaved his head. Yeah. Uh, you don't get that shit anymore now. No, you're right. Well, and even 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 the brief that brief moment on Project Runway this season, they, that would have been a, like a, a half a season arc in <laughs> early Project Runway. Is this this conflict over whether or not Anna was designing the same dress over and over again? And they they literally only allowed it to happen for one like half episode, basically, before they are seen in their hotel room apologizing to each other, et cetera, et cetera. And it's 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 almost disappointing. I will say, um, even though I think Tim did his time on the show and I I don't crave him being back, I'm sure he's sick of it, whatever. He is such a one of a kind celebrity. I just want to say like when he emerged, like how many like gay men of that age who had no interest in showbiz prior and just had this life in academia and they suddenly become TV stars and you get the sense of like a kind of normalish gay life lived. Like there's just not another celebrity like that. He's from a generation that, you know, I mean, that's the generation that was hit most by AIDS, for example. Like, so you had the sense that he had li- lived a, a, a full, interesting gay life in an industry that's mostly gay. I'm just very grateful to have him. He was also, of course, extremely quotable himself. One time he was on this show with Ira and I, one of my, our favorite moments ever on this show. He was on Zoom and I said, I was like, did you ever think you'd be an Emmy-winning TV star? And out of nowhere, he pulls his Emmy into frame, and we were all laughing. I was like, you're just brandishing your Emmy like Cloris Leachman. And then he goes, oh, I love her. I- <laughs> so, Tim Gunn, come back to keep it. <laughs> uh, I think that was a beautiful thing that he did for gay men. But I also, lastly, want to point out, too, that, like, Bravo started really with like this project runway stuff uh and you know like life on the d-list and etc and now has grown into housewives etc andy cohen world but it's really sort of always been it, we saw glimpses of gay life on this show but it's always really been sort of like a channel for women and i feel like that's never more obvious than the fact that um Yes, it might have inspired, like, gay kids around the U.S. to, like, get the fashion and stuff. But I feel like it also inspired just, like, ordinary women who liked fashion and would then see, like, some, like, random, like, stern woman or just some, like, girl like Nora in the season one, like, doing fashion. And then they were like, oh, I can do that, too. And it inspired them. But then I thought what was really funny was... Nora was the first one to go. Uh, <laughs> she looked it was fabulous. Yeah. Obvi- she looked fabulous. Uh, and she she dressed really well. Yeah. But I thought it was painfully obvious of her like being like, I did this in season one. I have my kids. I'm at home. But I still love fashion. Coming back and doing the show in that first episode. And I was like, oh, she's going home. You don't have a prayer she's, against she's, these she's other not, pros. This isn't yeah, your yeah. world. Yeah, this right. isn't your world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lovely to see her for that episode. <laughs> All right, when we are back, we're joined by the wonderful Allie and AJ. Black stories, black troops. 
is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered 500 megabits internet for $39.99 per month, plus a $100 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at breezeline.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. are so happy to have these incredible guests. They are artists, they're activists, they're icons, and they are on the road right now touring their latest record with Love From right now. Please welcome to Keep It, the Golden Songbirds themselves, Allie and AJ. <laughs> Thank you. That's Hi. a very sweet intro. <laughs> what a sweet introduction, Golden Songbirds. I love that. I mean, I feel like you've been serenading me with music my entire life. So, um, I mean, I have to say that. I mean, it, it, is, it is so fun to, you know, see you releasing new music and also having it be good. And I feel like so well received. And I remember, um, I feel like maybe it was like right pre-COVID, like I saw... Um, one of a show you guys done in like LA and it was just like, it was so much fun seeing like this new um, sort of evolution from like, you know, into the rush, which I heard on the Disney channel, uh, um, <laughs> you know, in, you. 2000, in 2005, which was like, um, which was also like freshman year of college for me. So like I was fully a freshman in college um, listening to, um, Rush and Chemicals React. So, 
Um, oh. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, not like everyone else who was a freshman in college then, but that was my jam. I was a Disney Channel addict then. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That's really sweet. Ira, when did we first meet? I feel like we met years ago through um, through Raymond. I think yeah. it was. It yeah, was. I was trying yeah. to figure and it I, out, and too. And I can't remember... I can't remember what year, but it was a while ago. I mean, it was definitely yeah. pre-pandemic, like you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that Raymond like connected us. He's the connector of all wonderful people. Yeah, and you've met Raymond Braun, Lewis. Oh, so. yes. Oh, yes. yes. He's the one who can't stop doing triathlons. Yes, right. Correct. He has <laughs> a problem. Stop. Yes. He cannot I stop. Open, I open Instagram and I'm like, I'm exhausted, baby. I'm going to close this. I know. I know. <laughs> he, has been, he has been our best friend now for 22 years. Oh, I wow. didn't know that. Wow. He is yeah. like swimming in Asia right now, I'm sure. Yes. He, he's actually heading to Turkey, Sam. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we know his schedule. We just saw him the other night and we were talking we, about We know his, his schedule. I, yeah. I know his flight path. I, he goes to Berlin next. Like, I know all of this because I'm always like, oh my gosh, Raymond, please be safe going into shark infested waters. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I mean, Fire Island is shark infested waters now. That's true. Um, this summer. That's a good point. The, so, true. The true. sharks are everywhere. Um, Fire Island versus Turkey. Which, what's more dangerous? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what has better food. And it's not the place with uh, a restaurant called Canteen. Mm. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, even just on the concept of that, I find that so just like interesting, like not just, you know, like doing one is enough. I have uh, a friend here, um, Charlie, uh, and his friend, um, Nick, um, who sort of, they ran the Ironman, um, and, um, like Austria this year and they were like training for it. Um, and, you know, it was like, it was very intense when they were training for it. And like, then you didn't see them anymore. They weren't going out. Like they weren't drinking anymore. Uh, and right. now that it's over, like I have my friend back and he was like, yeah, that was like really fun and like intense to train for. But he's like, never again. <laughs> wow. It was like a wow. one and done. I respect yeah. that. I respect yeah. that too. I respect that too. He's like, nope, it's not happening again. Yeah, just challenging yourself once, I feel like, is is all you really need to do. But, you yeah. know. Okay, I have to ask about this album and also just the way you guys collaborate in general. First of all, the the music, this is such a pleasing album um, uh, with Love From. What, what is the greatest disagreement you guys have had working on music together? Because I feel like you guys seem so in sync and like so just like ideal partners, period, without even being... Uh, sisters also do you have any memorable bouts where you were trying to where you were battling to figure something out yeah we definitely have those moments I mean a lot of times it's like one of us preferring a song over the other and feeling like maybe that song should stay on the record and the other one is thinking maybe it gets cut so sometimes that happens even though we're both involved in the creation of the song so we're we're kind of like ready to sacrifice our own child but but at the end of the day, like we usually come around to someone's side, whether it's mine or AJ's. Um, and I want to say on With Love From, we didn't have a lot of disagreements. I mean, we're very much on the same page when it comes to like mixing notes, uh, when it comes to like fades and outros and all of those types of things. Like we're very much on the same page, um, even when we're like cutting the band and we 
hear a part that we feel like is unnecessary or something that's missing. Like we always jump in and we're like kind of finishing each other's sentence saying the same thing. Um, I think sometimes we might disagree on like a lyric line that'll happen. Um, you know, it's hard because we're writing from our own perspectives, but as a duo. So it, it can get tricky when, you know, my, my personal story has to become somewhat AJ's story as well and vice versa, but we manage it. I don't know how, but we do. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I, I, I can't think of like one moment where we were like, oh my gosh, this was like a colossal meltdown for our band. Um, I think it would be so much more interesting if we had one of those stories. I can't think of something. I think creatively we're really compatible. If anything, like we fight more outside of music as like sisters and who we are as people together than we do as like a work team. Mm. Yeah. I think we did have a moment where I was trying to cut. This was way before we even, I think, recorded the song, like, officially. Um, I was trying to cut Way of Nature, Way of Grace, uh, which is funny because a lot of people really enjoy that song, and I really like playing it now live. But I was just afraid that it... I don't know. I just was afraid that it 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 didn't fit with the record or, or something. Like, I don't know. We I think we also had a bunch of parts in it originally that... Uh, made it kind of sound a certain way. And and so we stripped it back to make it a little bit more just like raw in its production. And I think that helped. And then the end kind of starts to fill out with this big band moment. Um, but that was definitely and, a song where I was like, we're not cutting this. And it, was, it yeah. wasn't like a fight, but it was like, a, this song is not going anywhere. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, that, was, that was definitely a moment that AJ was like, putting her foot down. I'm glad she did because I think ultimately the song came around to be really beautiful. But I think it took like, you know, some songs just take a little bit of extra like TLC and sometimes that's stripping things back and sometimes that's adding more production. So for whatever reason, that song, it just needed to be stripped back. And we have this like really beautiful kind of guitar picking part at the beginning that wasn't originally there. And that I think really helped. Mm. I really enjoyed, you know, when, you know, you, you, um, first debut 10 years right uh and that was uh that i feel like had um you know um take me in it and i thought that was sort of you know like 80s was sort of like synthy it was pop rock and now i've loved like this evolution of hearing like your different sounds and influences um all the way to with love from and i just sort of want to know like how have your music influences sort of changed over the years from when you were first making music because i feel like you know if you're first making music uh and then you know you're making into the rush like was that even was that even like music you were listening to then or was it you know sort of like this is just the music we have to make you know because we're like we're making a disney album etc you know and we want this kind of pop or was that stuff that you were into now and now your music taste is sort of like deepened and you're listening to other things and that's reflected in your records I think, I think for the most part, we've gotten really lucky in the sense that from the really early creating stage of like putting out a record as teens, we weren't really being controlled in a really severe way. Like we actually were mm -hmm. signed based on the fact that we were singer songwriters and that we were playing acoustic guitar and that we were a duo. Mm -hmm. Everything about why they wanted to sign us is kind of what brought the magic of that record. Therefore, they didn't feel like they had to control too much because it was the beauty of what they were signing. Um, so I really feel like Rush 
that record, making that record was very much a culmination of like inspiration, what Allie and I were listening to at that part of our career. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, I think we've just completely evolved. I think for a bit of time, we were kind of figuring out more of like an 80s synth pop direction. And then, you know, we've written stuff that maybe leans a little more like 90s rock or grunge. And then we were like, no, that's not really feeling like us. And it's it's fun because as artists, you can have so many influences and be into so many different things. It's hard to find your lane because you're like, well, I actually enjoy all these lanes and I want to be in all of them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you're like, but I need to come up with a cohesive body of work that feels really good live and that feels like me and that resonates with who I am now, but also who I might become, you know, music is really tricky because it doesn't always age properly with you. And so I think this record, you know, it's very new still, but I, I really enjoy playing this record live. And to me, that's always a really good indication that it's going to work for a long period of time. Um, Yeah. I think that live, I, I think us touring again and playing these songs live is what helped, uh, is what helped get us on the right track when it came to the albums and the consistency of what we wanted to create and that it was uh, music that transitioned live really seamlessly. Um, And I think that that's not always easy. Uh, You know, it's funny sometimes when we try to resurrect songs either deep from the past or, you know, even within the last like five or six years, and we play it with the band and there's just certain songs that just don't, they don't translate live as well. Uh, it's a lot more electronic. Um, and then there's songs that just make sense. Everybody's able to play all of the musical parts that are in the song organically and it just works. So that's, I think the beauty of these, these two new records is that um, they're very playable live. And I think they really resonate with a live audience. Um, but I think we've always been playing music that we were enjoying and listening to but just in our version that you know whatever you want to call it for for the Ali and AJ version of you know singer songwriter or pop rock or whatever it was for that 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 moment um but I think a lot of bands have have definitely inspired us over the years but they're like all over the map you know in terms of genre is there any part of your career or any type of song that you once um, worked on that you've actually outgrown? Like, is it awkward to outgrow any old type of music? Like, is there stuff you you basically wouldn't do anymore that you once did? Well, it's funny because, you know, I kind of thought that was the case for our first album because that album is 18 years old now. <laughs> but my sister and I did this experiment um, in June where we played the entirety of the album front to back for the first time ever in years actually ever because we never really toured that entire album where we played it front to back and playing it live i definitely was like some of these songs don't fully work now because lyrically they're really immature because we were obviously writing them from a completely different place in life but in general when it comes to the melodies and the musical um, elements to the songs and just what Allie and I were writing during that time. I'm actually like, some of this is, is quite advanced. I wouldn't say like this record's perfect now, but a lot of it, I really enjoyed. And I wouldn't have known that had we not played the whole record as adults front to back. And it was literally just an experiment. We played a special show and we recorded it and it's going to come out during the 20 year anniversary of into the rush in 2025. Um, so I'm really excited for that. And I think some of those songs actually have lived on in a really beautiful way. I don't think all of them work now, but again, it's because we're adults singing, you know, more childish material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's so wild to have recorded something and be like, this is coming out in two years. Right. I know. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we, totally. we, we are, um, we're really ambitious people and we're kind of insane. And, and Allie and I were like, we're going to challenge ourselves and we're going to just do it now because who knows what 2025 is going to look like or next year. So let's mm-hmm. just record the record now, have it ready to go and put it out in two years. <laughs> but it was fun. We, learned, we learned all the material. Um, we were nervous as hell. We're never nervous on stage. We were fucking terrified. Um, only because we were like, we have not played these songs in so long. And it came together beautifully. Like it was a really sweet, emotional night. And it was lovely. Our fans were like freaking out and we were loving it. It was really special. One song I really want to ask about, um, which is sort of like, which is such a banger. And I feel like you probably know what I'm going to ask about. Uh, It's Joan of Arc on the dance floor. Uh, I feel like even with, when I'm playing, like, when I'm, like, having, like, friends over and I'm playing, you know, like, music, like, you know, like, the gays, like, they're like, oh, we want to hear, like, a Beyonce, like, a Dua, like, Tobla, whatever. Like, someone is always suggesting this song, and it's not me either. Like, people are like, they fucking love that song. And, I, and I've Aww. heard it out before, too, and it's great. And I just, like, what was your vibe going into making that song? And, like, where is also the rest of that dance album? <laughs> you know, we we did we did these kind of two song pairings between Joan of Arc and Attack of Panic. Mm-hmm. Um and for whatever reason, we were like in this moment of uh wanting to create like I don't know, our version of uh, of a dance track that would be played in like a Berlin club. And mm-hmm. we were really inspired by Giorgio Moroder um at the time and uh, we were listening a lot to him in the studio with the two collaborators that we worked with. And, and that's how those songs kind of became what they are. Like they were just born out of, I think us just like enjoying this dance music and like having fun and like running around the studio thinking, okay, maybe there's like a version of an Alan AJ song that's, that lives in this space. Um, I don't think that we wanted to keep going down that, down that, I don't know that that version uh, of music. I think only because, again, it, it it wasn't songs that felt like they could translate live. It felt like a song that you'd have like a DJ playing in a club, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel like something you would have with like a full band. Um, but we're trying to rework Joan of Arc to play live and put into our set in a way that feels like it's still honoring the original. Like we're not slowing it down or anything, but we're just changing some of the instrumentation so it becomes a little bit more organic and mm-hmm. see if we can play it in a live setting. But but we just mm-hmm. played it for our first Pride show that we've ever performed and it went off great. And we were like, I think the song was meant for the gays. Yeah, yeah totally. I, mean, I think listen. Raymond, I actually think Raymond kind of <laughs> manifested us making those two songs because there yeah. are times he's heard every demo <laughs> in our career and he'll be like can you guys just make some more like like gay club dance anthems and we're like okay Raymond sure and so I, I honestly feel like those two songs came out of a conversation from Raymond but it was it's funny there's not like a full album that sounds like that that's just waiting in the wings no mm. I think I think if Ali and I wanted to we could do it actually pretty quickly just because I think that kind of writing comes really easily for us mm. but in a way um, it just doesn't feel like where we're at currently. It feels more like a moment, not mm-hmm. like the setting we're in right now um, as musicians. But I actually do love those two songs. And I, we're finding a way to incorporate them again live. I, I actually think Joan of Arc 
could go off in LA at the Greek. I mean, listen, just split it into split the show into two parts, like Renaissance. Okay, like you know, come out, give us the give us give us you know the alley at AJ, and then you're like, okay, now welcome to the dance floor. There you go. There you go. That's a good idea. I don't mind that. I love a narrative at a concert. Yes, we do. We do. We love eras. Um, one thing I think is interesting about the two of you is you have very varied um, and different acting credits. And I was curious, which of the other's acting credits are you most jealous of? That's funny. Nobody's ever <laughs> asked us that. No one has ever asked us that. Um, most jealous of. We've both, we've both done some really cool projects. And it's, it's neat because acting is like our big difference. You know, like we're very different actors. Whereas I think on stage... We're different performers as well, but when we when we come together as a duo, there are a lot more similarities than when we're acting. Um, I think for me, I honestly would have loved to have been an Easy A. I think that movie mm. is so iconic, and mm. like the amount of people that stop Allie for that, I'm like, uh, honestly though, Allie's the only person I could picture in that role, so it wouldn't have been like I I would play that part. It's just that that would be the project she was a part of that I would have loved to have been in. Mm. And I would say for, for me, I would say, I would say Shira because it's got such a fan base and such a fandom behind the show that is so fun to watch, you know, just to watch AJ interact with like all, all types of people that come up and talk about their love for the show. AJ is like really talented with voice work and I have not quite cracked it yet. So maybe that would be my, that would be mine on on her IMDb list. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute, Ellie. I think uh, EZA also has maybe the one of the best sets of parents in any movie. That's that uh, Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson, right? Yeah, great yes. parents. I need to find like a BuzzFeed list of best parents in a movie because that's got to be up there. I agree. Oh, with that. for sure. You're so right. Yeah, I mean, I will say that speaking of your credits, like first of all, AJ, I love. Support the girls. Oh, so, my, I love oh, support the that, girls. Love that, that is, movie. That is a classic, oh. and that deserved so much more attention than it got. Oh. In I agree. It, it is. It is a good film. A great film. Yeah. And you and Haley became like besties from that, which is so special. Yeah. So Haley Lou became a really dear friend of mine, um, and we mm. we had known each other before that movie, but not really well. And then we clicked on that film and we've been friends ever since. I, I really, Regina is like the nicest human being ever. And I really enjoyed that film. I agree that it was kind of like a sleeper in the sense that like, it didn't really get enough hype. I actually think it was a lot better than it was perceived. Like, I don't think a lot of people knew about it, but I love mm. that movie. I'm glad you guys do too. Yeah. And then, you know, um, Allie, I watched every single episode of iZombie. So that oh, was thank my you. show. I was obsessed Thanks. with that show. Um, oh. But, you know, your your best credit to me will always be The Roommate. <laughs> the Roommate, yes. Yes, with the famous shower scene, of course. Yes. What? An iconic scene where she gets her belly button ring ripped out. The way but that you remember that movie coming out and you feel like, okay, here's this, like, knockoff single white female. And, like, really just the way that, like, I feel like that is one of those movies from that early 2010s era of like, you know, like we're making a lot of like thrillers that are sort of like based on ones we've seen already before that like people bring yes. up the roommate. 
Oh, the roommate I, was fun. I, very fun I movie. I wouldn't think I would yeah. not have thought that people would bring that up. I didn't know that. That's cool to know. Yeah, no. The roommate, the roommate is sort of like in there with like, you know, like we don't have like our like basic instincts or whatever that were like, you know, these right. movies weren't nominated for for any awards or things. But you know, like the roommate is up there with like Swim Fan for me. Okay. These are got it. These yes. Are yes. Classics. I love I got Swim you. Fan. Okay. Swim Fan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Was that with Julia Styles? No, that's uh, Jesse that was, Bradford and uh Erica Christensen, yes, the yeah. Julia Styles Christian, Erica Christensen. Yes, yes, yes. Who, who I very often confused with um, <laughs> Julia Styles. Julia Styles. By the way, you're you're amazing. You're like you guys are like IMDb. We have a <laughs> we have we have a clinical issue. Somebody put a pop culture like chip in our brains at a very young age and we can't escape it. So it's yes. incredible. Brilliant. I'm impressed. Um I guess I guess lastly just want to ask, you know, like you love making music together, you know, you um you you have very different sort of like acting sensibilities, you know? I mean like you've done a couple projects together. Like is is like an acting project for both of you something that like you really consider that you really want to do in your future or do you want to just sort oh, of yeah. like, you know. For sure. I mean, we're still in a in development phase of a animated TV show that we've been working on now for a while. Like when can we kind of start this the animated stage? Series? Like, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's not it is Although, not that would be hilarious if it was an animated version of cowbells. I feel like we missed the boat on cowbells, like mattering or meaning something. Like if it was maybe like 10 years ago, maybe it could have still had a moment. I feel like cowbells too. Now people would be like, what, why I, to me? I don't, know. I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's still a huge fan base out there for cowbells, but, um, but yeah, but it's an animated project that would involve the two of us and music is a part of it. So, uh, that would be like a dream project. If it ever ends up coming to fruition, it would be really special. Um, and then I, we definitely want to make uh, another film together again. That's, that's definitely on the horizon for us. I don't think um, that, you know, we'll, we'll ever, we'll ever tire of like working on set together. I think we always really enjoy those moments, even though we don't get them, they're few and far between, but when they do happen, we're like, this is great. This feels so natural. Um, So for sure, for sure in the future, once, once the damn strike ends. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, the strike. So, I mean, you two love performing. You love being on stage together. Why not a musical? Ding. Yeah. 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 A musical would be, would be hot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of, we've kind of talked about like infiltrating every part of entertainment, like Allie and I on Broadway together, Allie and I in a, in an animated show together, Allie and I on a reality travel series together, Allie and I like, we're like, there could be so many things that we do together. Not to say like every single thing is going to be equally compelling, but I do think there are like a lot of fun things you could do with two sisters. Why can't Kate and Rooney Mara have this level of camaraderie? (laughs) Girls, work together one time. Yes. I know. They should do a movie together. They should. They should. Why not? I don't understand. Yes. But the movie I I want them to do is about their, like, they're like family football empires. I want, like, a dueling family football empire film. Like, based on their real lives. I I agree with that. I actually think that would be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, to kind of wrap this up, but I mean, like, even just my question about like a Broadway thing and thinking about like something you guys write, like, 
you you write so much for yourselves and your own voices. Like, are there like I was thinking like if you did a Broadway thing, it would you could make like your own waitress or something. And they got me thinking about like a Sarah Bareilles or something. And I'm like, are there oh. voices? Um, like singers that you like, like contemporaries, like people you love now that you're sort of like, you would love to write something for them, hear them singing one of your songs? Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, definitely. I I think we, it's funny, we've never really like dipped our toe into writing for other artists. We always spend the time writing for ourselves. Um, And, you know, it's funny because like, it, it's it's such a different headspace to to put yourself in to to write for another artist, especially if it's an artist that has a totally different style of music than yourself. Um, but AJ and I, there was like a couple songs that we had that we were like, this would be perfect for Olivia Rodrigo. Not that mm-hmm. she needs any help in like, sorry, I don't know who that is. Um, uh, not that she needs any help in like writing music or or anything like she's obviously killing it and she's a songwriter herself. But I remember there were a couple songs that we had written from like years ago that we were like, we should try to get this over to Olivia's camp. Uh, who knows mm-hmm. if it ever ended up making it to her, but, but yeah, we would definitely be open um, to, to writing music for another artist. I don't know who exactly that artist would be. Um, I'd have to think about it, but, yeah, same. but, but women, it would be cool writing for like either a female, you know, band, or, or write, really writing with, like, you know, writing with another band that is in our same kind of sphere. Um, you know, we've met, we've met some really cool artists through uh, just putting new music out and seeing that they're fans of our music. And we've talked about co-writing with them. Um, like Beach Bunny and Samia, like just little like DMs here and there. We've been like, we should collaborate together. You know, who knows if it ends up ever happening, but we've become kind of DM buddies. So we'll see if maybe that ends up leading to something, you know, down down the line. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being here, ladies. Oh my God, what a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yes, it's good to see you. You, you too. Well. Thank you for having us, you guys. That was fun. And yeah. you guys obviously are welcome to come to any of the shows in September if you can get your yourself to them we would love to have you i will be absolutely yes. done traveling after the summer of gayness and i will be in la so yes i will, <laughs> do, I will go amazing yeah. yes you can you can wrap up the summer of gayness at the greek on september 8th <laughs> done brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life.
Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops, just so you know. Uh, fruit? Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. The same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. Brangelina, Kimye, and now Spongeriana Grandbob. I don't know. Slay. Uh, <laughs> Love is dead. And here we are at Keep It to Mourn It. Where have all the good celebrity relationships gone? Is Venus in retrograde? Is this a holdover from like COVID, like the snapback or something? Because I feel like Sofia Vergara and Joe Manganiello, you know, Tina Knowles and Richard Lawson, that one hit me. I was, I was shocked until so someone showed me like a um old like Instagram from like seven weeks ago or something where someone wrote um where's Tina she hasn't been in your like uh, Instagram photos lately and Richard responded to them she's on tour with Beyonce <laughs> 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 and you know what I would always pick Beyonce over my husband that's a uh, it it is relatable um I will say when people despair over couples breaking up. I kind of get it, but at the same time, when people break up, usually it's time to break up. I can't say yeah. I'm like sitting around being like, oh, stay together. Like, no, like you should do what you want with your life. It's just a weird instinct we have, I think. Yeah. It, and I think the thing is, is like the thing that makes the Ariana and SpongeBob of it all, I think, especially potent and powerful right now is that over the last decade or so, you've really seen like celebrity culture, specifically a celebrity monoculture disappear Mm -hmm. like there are so like there are so few huge stars that are that we focus on like uh, like there are there are celebrity quote-unquote breakups that happen quite frequently but oftentimes when i see the headlines it's two people that i've never heard of who have 20 million followers on youtube and i've just never (laughs) these, these people have never crossed my paths in my entire life and i feel like that's you see that in the way that we we talk about celebrity breakups now. It's just there is no Brangelina because there is no Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Like you just don't see A-list stars like dating and breaking up anymore because they're like what is the what is considered the A-list anymore because our, our our culture is so fractured. And I think like Ariana is one of the rare exceptions to that because everybody knows and loves Ariana Grande and is so familiar with her. And this is such a and interesting, and I think it's 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 notable when someone hot dates someone who is considered largely unattractive by a lot of the culture. We're like, what's what's going on there? What's the X yeah. factor? Yes, we want to know. <laughs> but also, I, I was just thinking somebody was describing the Taylor Swift Eras tour to me. Why they were doing this, I can't tell you. I don't know why, but they were doing it, and I realized <laughs> what other superstars have emerged in, I mean, Taylor Swift predates 2010, but really in the 2010s, you know, like Ariana Grande is a list or what I call her a superstar, like verging on it. But like Taylor Swift is a superstar. Who else? You know, I mean, like, like Jennifer Lawrence kind of, and then she sort of receded, you know, Um, it's just, it's interesting. So you're right. Like news like this doesn't hit often. um, And, you know, once upon a time, a celebrity breakup is just 
everything you would talk about. I, I, the vision of helicopters flying over the wedding of Madonna and Sean Penn. I mean, that's just a bygone era, you know? Yeah. It's also mostly because these pop stars have also sort of like hidden themselves away. I feel like the Ariana news really sort of hit only when we found out about you know, the relationship with Ethan Slater, you know, SpongeBob, you know, the Bach in the movie. Because at first, it was Ariana Grande's getting a divorce. And did anybody give a fuck? Because we didn't even know who her husband was. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, she got married to him in the middle of COVID. Um, They had basically a secret relationship. Like, he stayed out of the public eye. The same way that, like, people talked about Taylor and Joe Alwyn for, like, a day or so, but like we never saw them together. They weren't on red carpets. They had no sort of identity as a couple, especially as a celebrity couple, because he doesn't even really have an identity like as a big celebrity, you know? Um, and but once the affair like sort of element was added to it, like, oh, was Ariana, did Ariana break up a marriage? Like, oh, and like, you know, like now was she cheating on her husband? That sort of added a little bit of flavor to it where now everybody can't stop talking about it. Well, and also too, I think like you, what another thing you don't see that is specific to this breakup that you don't see as much anymore is so much of it of the machinations in the press, like the the strategy of like leaking certain things to create a narrative around. Because you saw that when she was just breaking up with her husband, like you, there was obviously things being leaked from Ariana's camp that then would become headlines about the husband and like how they were f- drifting apart and all of these things. And now, especially with the Ethan Slater and Ariana of it all, there's all of these leaks happening that you can definitely tell is Ariana's camp trying to sort of control the narrative around the breakup where so many celebrity quote unquote breakups now happen so chaotically in front of our eyes on social media. They're not really being like sort of trying to be controlled. The narratives are being controlled in the press specifically, which is like, it's a fun like throwback to, to when we had actual stars breaking up. No, you're right. I think most breakups now with so-called luminaries of social media now we get like an hour and a half explain, explainer video about why they won't be, you know, unboxing things together anymore. And it's, you know, it's not salacious or giving, shall we say. Well, that's just every gay you know now. Right. <laughs> um, what's also interesting, too, is the fact that I feel like there are more single celebrities now. Or maybe mm. that's not a thing that's just always been there. Uh, but I don't know. It just feels like people are single more or the celebrities who are dating people are marrying people who just aren't other mega celebrities like themselves. You know, I mean, like it it happens. But that era, like, you know, of Madonna and Sean Penn, et cetera, even like Beyonce and Jay-Z. Um, and when Taylor was dating celebrity after celebrity, like there's been a conscious choice of these women lately, even like Gaga, like selecting men who are out of the public eye so that they themselves can retreat from the public eye in a way that celebrities didn't really need to in the 90s and early 2000s. And I wonder if it's part conscious choice, but also just because they aren't hanging out with other celebrities in the way that celebrities used to hang out. Because, for instance... 
you don't see stuff like in New York here, right? You know, like there's no really like um, celebrity hotspot restaurants mm-hmm. or things anymore that like Leo or like people go to because everyone has a fucking camera. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because so they want to be left alone. And so if they're finding somebody, it's probably someone, you know, that like is hooked up to them by like a publicist or by like a close friend because like they're certainly not going to be on dating apps the way people are screenshotting those and sharing all that info so i mean like if there are no hot spots where celebrities are just going and like letting their hair down without cameras or like paparazzi being around are they even in spaces where like you're a hot celebrity who's sort of a b list and you see another hot a b list celebrity that like you've always thought was hot you're not going to be at a party and hook up with them and then maybe start dating them anymore. Yeah, it's it's what makes who is that who's the who's the actress who posted that dinner party with, with all white people that got in trouble recently? Oh, there were a whole uh, bunch of people there. It was like Kristen Bell and Jennifer Aniston and yeah, Kristen Bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kristen yeah. Bell who's in every social media post. Uh, <laughs> like, she really makes the rounds. She's a very popular girl. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's what makes moments like that so interesting is that like you don't see celebrities hang out like in big groups like that as much as you used to like i don't know if it's everything just seems so fragmented now i think this is part of it definitely by the way i I don't know how we can do this but how do we create news cycles around celebrities who are just single their whole lives and that's like you're talking about how more celebrities probably are single now than we realize but for instance you know bonnie hunt the mother of a generation Never married, no kids. How can we create interest around her as a tabloid figure? Dana, Dana Delaney on Twitter tweeting about TCM probably right now. What, what can we do to talk about how she is a, a, a cineast and rad person? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think of like who else is, is of that age. Uh, Kylie Minogue. You know, like right. no, nobody talks about Kylie being single for so long. Like, right. Not even a string of lovers. No, the Olivier Martinez once upon a time, right, Ira? But otherwise, yeah, yeah, I don't really know anything about Kylie's love life. She's interesting in that way. She's both it's it's really all about the music, you know, and um and you have to be gay to understand it. So that's a hushed conversation. I feel like the men sort of get away with that more i mean there was the bygone era where you know like if a man was single for so long it's like is he gay but now i just feel like the men or so, like i feel like you and obviously like drake has a child with like that one woman um but like do you really even hear about like him being in a relationship you just sort of assume that he's just like sleeping with women from time to time and then just moving on you know like i've never really heard of like a big drake relationship aside from like when he was dating Serena Williams or J Lo, I forgot about both of those. Wow, yeah, crazy. yeah, that that seems completely made up to me. But I <laughs> you remember that on my twenty third birthday, I went miniature golfing, and then who emerged from the miniature golf? Serena Williams in common. That's the <laughs> that's the biggest celebrity thing I've ever seen in my life. And I, all I could think was, I wonder if Serena Williams is bad at miniature golf. Like, what if she, what if she just like completely <laughs> choked at a sport? <laughs> well, one thing about Common is he is ran through. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I feel like everybody has dated Common. I remember the Laura Dern Common era very vividly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I was looking at celebrities from the 2010s um, being like, who else would we even care about? You know? And I was like, there are a lot of people who are famous and like people see them in concert and, you know, like a like an Ed Sheeran. I didn't even know, I didn't even know he was married. 
And I was like, does anybody give a fuck who Ed Sheeran dates or is married to? No, you're right. Do we right. care about who most of these celebrities are with? Maybe in the tabloid era, finding out people were together felt like a catch because you you weren't guaranteed access to celebrities. And now, since we're they're so chronically available to us, it's like, well, okay, of course, you're together. And now we have to hear about it five times a week. Yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like that's part of the reason why award shows are, it's like one of the many reasons why award shows are less interesting to see is because mm. it used to be so fun. To, this is when you saw celebrities interact for the first time and you, you, mm-hmm. you saw these relationships like sort of um, on, on on the main stage. And yet now it just, it, it celebrity culture is just so oversaturated with, you know, C and D list people now that it's it's hard mm-hmm. to care. Just to let you know, if you denigrate award shows one more fucking time on this podcast, I'm going over there and slapping your pretty little face. Watch your fucking mouth. You sound like a goddamn animal. You know what? I feel like it's not the exact reason why, you know, like Barbie is still making so much fucking money, but like Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie feel like stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, I feel like this is, propelled her in a way that her other movies haven't and this movie reminded us like how much we all love ryan gosling and you know what's interesting about both of them neither of them have social media Mm, we are not we are not oversaturated with either of them they vanish when they're not doing a project and then when they are doing a project they're on a carpet and you're seeing them again you know i feel like if you were constantly seeing margot robbie on instagram Making uh, a salad yeah. on live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long can she plank? Yeah. Hawking skin cream. Like, you wouldn't give a fuck about it anymore, you know? I mean, someone brought that up in the... Um, someone brought that up in conversation with, you know, Nicole Kidman doing the AMC ad, which is obviously iconic. Um, and, you know, has had everybody talking about her for an entire fucking year. Um Someone brought up the fact that, like, celebrities used to do that shit all the time, but they would do commercials in, like, Japan mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. you know? Because doing a commercial in the U.S. would dilute your brand. You're right. I have not thought about the fact that I know actually very little about Ryan Gosling's life other than he is still with Eva Mendes, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know? So maybe we feel kind of privileged to get to see him be silly or something, you know? Meanwhile, you see Jennifer Garner, you know, in a Capital One ad every other day, right. you know? But it- and, and it feels like home. It honestly does feel like home. You know? <laughs> but also, I know Jennifer Garner a bit too well now, you know? So when a Jennifer Garner movie comes out, it's like, well... I'll see you on Hulu. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've exhaled too many times, in fact, for uh, uh, Jennifer Garner. So really what I'm advocating for is um, a thing that I feel like uh, Lewis and I have advocated for since the invention of Keep It, to be honest. Uh, celebrities should delete their social media. Mm. Mm. Thank you so much. It's never been helpful for most of them. And now I feel like in this era where there's like, where social media is also so fucking fractured, like this fucking X and like a Threads or like a Instagram. You know, it's like, what is the point? I was trying to use Threads the other day, and I was like, they haven't even added like a search feature or these other things to it. And then I really was just thinking, like, do I even really need to be downloading a new social media thing and using it and putting myself, putting a new version of myself out into the world? No, delete it. No. 
Again, once upon a time, I used to dream of meeting Madonna, and now I dream of proofreading her Instagram. Okay? That's the, <laughs> that's the change. <laughs> Baby, Madonna's just sitting in Washington Square Park, okay? <laughs> like, probably filming, probably filming TikToks. Right, yeah. She is... Several. She, she is far too accessible these days. Yeah, right. All right. When we are back... It's our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. Joel, as our guest of honor, why don't you go first? Yeah, I guess the thing that I wanted to talk about, Ira, you sort of alluded to it earlier in the episode. Um, but I think we've entered into the era where um, I, I no longer need to see an interaction screenshot of a dating website or app on your social media. Like, mm. absolutely keep those to yourself forever and ever and always. You owe, No one is coming out on top of these interactions anymore. Every single time someone posts a screenshot from Tinder or Grindr or any of these apps, it is always, always, always posting your own loss. Every single time. Um, <laughs> it, you, you become the villain in your own story. I don't know what it is about rejection or or someone you know coming at you in a in a completely benign way on an internet dating app that makes people lose all sense of right and wrong and yet they they keep and continue to post about it and it's it's wild it's every single time no it's like the person who has to burst into tears in front of the entire cafeteria so that somebody will ask them about their breakup no it's get away get away from me i'm eating my fries do people do that often? <laughs> I went to a weird high school. We were bored in the Midwest. People cried in public. <laughs> uh, you're bullying Josie Grossi at school. <laughs> um, no, I feel like whenever, first of all, whenever someone posts like a grinder screenshot in particular, it's usually you take two two seconds to like take like a like a longer glance at it, and it's like you basically set up this conversation though so that you would have material to post online you know yeah, i mean yeah, there's right. there's, mm-hmm. there's plenty of every time someone posts a screenshot from grinder if you go to their profile on twitter without fail that's usually all they do uh and it's like you are not being particularly funny in your responses to someone. No. Uh, and then also it makes you seem weird because it's you're not actually on this app to find someone to create an interaction with. You're just farming content for people to respond to online. And I think that we've also just sort of lost the idea that human beings interacting with each other is always going to be weird because we're all different people. And someone saying sort of like the wrong thing to you or something that like sounds weird or maybe they meant something else is just like what it's like having a conversation with somebody. But now people take anything that seems almost weird and it's like, well, this person's demented. Isn't that funny? It used to be when you saw a grinder screenshot, it was someone being sort of outrageously racist. Uh, or, yeah. or something a little bit more like black and white. But now it's sort of like, hey, do you guys, do you want to meet up at this restaurant? And it's like, how dare this person ask me to travel away from my home to a different neighborhood to meet at a restaurant? on You know, and it's it, it's always like where it's impossible to see where they're coming from no, most of the time now. 
in terms of the person who's posting the screenshot. Right. It's people treating themselves as a reliable authority when it's like, I don't know who the fuck you are or why the <laughs> fuck you would post this or why you think there's some caching and posting a private interaction and then having the rest of the world, which is strangers, judging the interaction. Very strange. Yeah. It's sort of this idea that everyone thinks they're Carrie Bradshaw, like <laughs> commenting on um, dating and sexuality. But... What they always miss about that, at least in the original series, is that Carrie, and then as Candace Bushnell called herself, you know, when she was writing Sex in the City, was a sexual anthropologist in her own words. Like, the Carrie in this story would go to the restaurant and meet this person because you're interested in finding out who this person is or what this interaction might be. Now people just are sort of in their heads that their authority is on dating and it's any word that someone says to them that doesn't align with how they think things should go. Like that's weird or interesting and stuff like no one's actually interested in, I don't know, investigating mm-hmm. anything anymore. No, because everyone is the the main character of their own, their own yeah. life. And, exactly. and it's impossible to, you know, not look at yourself that way. I do like the apps like Raya and things which do not let you screenshot. I think every dating Mm. app should prevent people from being able to screenshot it. Um, Then maybe hotter people and like celebrities or something would be on Grindr again. Well, thank you for that vision of a brighter future. Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) We're on the right track. Yes. Lewis, what is your keep it this week? Um, I'm going to go ahead and criticize a tweet. A real old school, keep it. Uh, I'll read the tweet Mm. to you guys. Um, Katy Perry has no identity as a pop star outside of Teenage Dream had hits. There's no edge, no narrative, (laughs) no aesthetic. When she stopped making hits, she stopped being a relevant pop star. This tweet is by... Oh my God, Ira, it's by you. I didn't even see that. Hold on. It's your face. Hold on. Sorry. Um, This is awkward. Are you coming out as a Katy cat? I will say, when I saw Katy Perry's Vegas show, I came out a huger fan. That was was a well-realized masterpiece. Yes, Joel was very much there. I I have to agree, and I have to to say, Ira, I think the thing you're ignoring um, about Katy Perry's brand is sketch comedy. Uh, I think out of all of the pop stars, I think she is our greatest sketch comedian. Yes. Um, And the comedy of it all, and, 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 and I'm saying that sort of jokingly, but the more I think about it, the more I actually connect it to her Vegas show. There is like a, there is like a whimsy, there is like a, a pageantry, like there is almost honestly like a Paul Rubenesque. Yeah, like, definitely, definitely. Like, like especially to her Vegas show. Her Vegas show was definitely, definitely influenced by Pee Wee's Playhouse. And there is like that element of play that I, I don't think we're seeing outside of maybe uh, a certain era of like Miley Cyrus, possibly. But like, I do think that Katie's distinct in that way. I think the thing is, she's actually all aesthetic. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, actually, nobody mm. has a more stronger aesthetic brand as a pop star than Katy Perry. Like, this, just the goofballs. You're right, like, her Vegas show is like a combination of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and the Kids' Choice Awards and Pee Wee Herman. And I think just what happened to her is the songs became worse. You know, it's like yeah. when you have an album like Teenage Dream and the hits are that good and you follow it up with even, like, Roar, which was a big hit, I think is worse than all of the songs that were on the uh, other album. Um, and I think... Just she hasn't like even like swish swish like these are all, like Bon Appetit a song I I defend it felt a little bit like she had already done that before, um so I think maybe what you're reacting to is she didn't expand her aesthetic or do anything That's interesting fair. you know I will accept that 
I do get that she is sort of all aesthetic. I mean, I haven't seen the Vegas show, but I mean, I did love the Super Bowl performance. And I did sort of like that early sort of fun, playful vibe she had, like last Friday night, like mm-hmm. that video, you know, or like even like California Girls. Um, if she had leaned into comedy or the aesthetic and sort of went there, then I would be more on board. I think my main thing about Katy Perry is you can't really conjure up in your brain like what a Katy Perry album should sound like, you know, like what her music sounds like because you have Teenage Dream, which is basically Dr. Luke. Uh, And then you have, you know, one of the boys, which I thought was a bit more interesting as an album too. Like I felt like it was a bit more like Liz Fair. Like I felt like it was more rockish and like she seemed like a really interesting figure when that came out. But each album for her, I think because Teenage Dream was such a big smash, has just been chasing whatever flavor is going to be like a pop hit. And when you're doing that every album, you're never going to establish sort of just what you do best. I so think also, she's always trying to find something else. Well, what you find might be bad. And what she found was bad. I think the thing with her is she was always going to fade eventually. You know, the way that pop stars fade, like they, you know, turn 36 or whatever the magical age where you're not as interesting or uh, interesting to the public anymore is. She just faded faster than expected, uh, at least in terms of chart relevance. Well, and have, are th- have either one of you guys dipped in on her one of her seasons of American Idol? Because I will say, like, I'm a recent convert. I recently started watching the new seasons of American Idol. And she's kind of an excellent judge. Oh, yeah. She is mm. sort of the de facto Simon um, in a lot of ways. And, like, yes, there's a lot of cheese involved in, the, in this. Now they're not nearly as mean as they used to be because of the way reality shows have, have shifted. But I will say, like, th- there is something very distinct about her style on that show. And, and it endears me to Katy Perry even more so than her music ever has watching her Mm. be a judge on that show. Yeah, I think she's particularly valuable during the auditions where when someone Mm -hmm. is bizarre or gives, you know, a bad audition or something, she can sort of give you the, like, uh, those, like, cartoon, like, scared eyes or whatever, and you're, and and, and she is funny. You know, she's funny in that context, you know. I think, actually, the American Idol thing is interesting because, you know, she's on that show and the way that Paula Abdul is on that show. And I think that... Maybe because of the era that Katie came up during and also what like, you know, the sort of like the feud with Taylor Swift sort of like elevated her a bit too in the sort of pop culture consciousness. She seemed like a celebrity who, if not was going to fade away later, was going to have a bit more staying power or continue to be A or B list, you know? And I mean, like, we obviously grew up, you know, like seeing Paul on the show after you know, her celebrity had faded or, you know, there's always like a Debbie Gibson, you know, or like another someone who was like a pop star for like two or three albums or something in the 80s or like the 90s. And now they're just sort of like around doing reality TV competitions or whatever. Um, and I guess I just never saw Katie as zooming towards that mm-hmm. right away. You know, when so many of her other contemporaries seem to have at least like been able to release more than two relevant albums. The thing is, though, like being a judge on American Idol, I do not think is the same thing now as it was with Paul Definitely. Like, I do not think it's mm. it's like 
waving the white flag necessarily because the way that those shows work now, it's so much less about the contestants and breaking like an actual star from the pool of contestants and so much Mm. more about who they get to judge or coach those shows. Like the voice is never like is, is not interested in producing a star at all. It is only interested in getting the biggest names to be those coaches now. And that's literally maybe the highest paying job on television at this point, the way Katy Perry gets paid on that show and the judges on The Voice. So you're right, it's like completely different where Paula took seasons to garner a real paycheck on American Idol. But anyway, that's Ira, fair. what is your keep it this week? Well, I think you know what this is, Lewis. Oh, so well, hit me. tit for tat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the tables have turned. The red table you- has turned. Your Barbie review. Oh, go ahead. Why did you hate this movie so much? I also, I, it's weird for me. To, <laughs> it's weird for me to that people have characterized it as hating. I just didn't think it was that good. Um, there's, I, I thought Margot was amazing in it. Um, I just didn't think the, the message hit, and I thought the big feminist speech felt like AI wrote it. That's it. <laughs> uh, I'm mostly joking. I think that like I like the movie quite a bit. Um, my actual real keep it goes to um, I feel like the idea that you hating the movie was sort of you um, stomping into Greta Gerwig's um, home and shooting her point blank in the head. Uh, I actually did not mind you not liking the movie that much. Matt liked it a -hmm. lot. I feel like you two talked about that in a fairly fair discussion on the show. And here I was on vacation being bombarded with DMs from people being like, you better get on Keep It and defend Barbie Girl, I do not care that much. <laughs> I <The> also <laughs> I fucking love Greta Gerwig, by the way. I, Lady Bird is one of my favorite movies of the past 20 years. Uh, Little yeah. Women, enjoyed. Also, every Greta Gerwig interview I'm listening to, I'm like, I, I'm a, a real fan. Yeah, I think one thing about this movie that's been very interesting to me is that um, as it's reaching like the billion dollar mark, is that people have sort of taken it on as an identity and are becoming very defensive of it. And it's sort of ironic in the way that the movie makes a joke about Zack Snyder bros in that um, there are sort of like, you know, um, the women of Themyscira are out there, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) with their their Wonder Woman shields uh, ready to kill anybody who does not like the movie. Um... Sort of, you know, sort of saying, you know, like, it's not for men, you know, it's not for you to be commenting on. And my thing is, like, I actually feel like the movie is in conversation with men for so much of it. It really has a lot to say about manhood uh, and about, you know, sort of like loving yourself. Ken literally builds a patriarchy. Yes, right. Right. Uh He has a dance, you know, he has a whole, you know, like um, Oklahoma dream dance. So, like, the movie's (laughs) about men. You know, uh, and so I think it's fair for people to, you know, not enjoy it. Also, unfortunately, you know, like we're two men who host this show. Uh, and so, you know, like, uh, so, hey, wait, Siskel and Ebert, you know, or like Ebert and Roper would have to review something like we're reviewing something when it comes out. The difference is Cricket does not have any other um, pop culture show that was reviewing Barbie. So they put our video online and that's why you saw two men if you don't want a review of barbie from a man then it's a very skippable segment (laughs) right you know like 
it, it, it's really easy to self-select the the reviews. And and we do this all the time. I think like I do this all the time with film criticism. I don't just listen to any review or read any review. There are people that I trust and there are people that I'm interested in hearing about certain movies. And like, I, I, you can't just be interested in Lewis's opinion about this movie if it's positive, you know? Like mm. you, it's very easy to just like, the, like if if Lewis had given it a positive review, no one would have been saying like, you're a man, we don't want to hear about your opinion on this movie. You know, like, I think like it's very easy if you're in a place where you don't want to hear a man's opinion about this movie, which is totally fair, then like, don't listen to Keep It that week. Also, I want to say, I actually, I actually relate to um, people who had, like, for instance, one of my favorite movies of the, of the past decade is 45 Years with uh, Charlotte Rampling and Tom, uh, Tom Courtney. Great movie if you haven't seen it. Um, Andrew Haig, who did um, uh, Weekend and the Looking TV show, he uh, directed wrote that movie, fabulous movie. I read, I saw a review of it, a, a YouTube review of this, a very prominent um, movie lover, and he called it boring. And to hear him say that made me think. I was like, I was riveted by this movie. Like, we clearly didn't see the same movie, or you weren't paying attention to this movie. Why am I paying attention to your opinion? And there is something about like seeing a review like that that makes you think like you 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 so aren't being heard that you feel like you have to voice it. And I get that. Um, particularly mm-hmm. when it's a movie about a woman and you're hearing a guy, you know, it's like, I, I'm like a gay guy. I feel like I'm usually in the position of these Barbie fans, you know, defending a movie with uh, starring <laughs> a woman or whatever. So I just relate to that. I relate to that experience. It's so strange. I, I do think we, we're just living in a moment right now where like taste is so connected to like whether or not you're a good person too, mm-hmm. that it like now it's really hard to disagree about taste without feeling like it's a personal attack on yourself. And and I don't know. I, I, I just feel like sometimes people need to, to back away from that idea. And like, I, I think Lewis and I have very different opinions about the Barbie movie and that's okay. I don't like implicitly think that Lewis thinks I'm a stupid person for having a different opinion. <laughs> now that you mention it though. No, okay, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I feel like, I mean, Richard Brody, for instance, at The New Yorker, you know, like he loved it. He hated Oppenheimer, uh, which I haven't seen yet. Um, But I like when he dislikes a movie that like I like, you know, and I like when like he likes a movie that I hated. You know, I feel like if you if you are interested in someone's we need to get back to the to the notion that if you're interested in someone's taste and you're interested in the way that they see the world then you should be interested in what they think about a certain piece of culture, whether or not they like it or whether or not they love it. And maybe, sure, sometimes they may get it wrong. Maybe sometimes they'll, you know, take it back. Um, But I just think you have to be able to just, like, take this push and pull, you know? Like, I found the movie a lot funnier than Lewis did. Uh, I did not enjoy the speech, though. Although, I will say... I feel like Greta knew that that speech was giving like Twitter, Tumblr, reblog, because I thought the whole funny part of the joke and including Alan and hearing it was that like, then they had to kidnap all the other Barbies and she had to keep repeating this dumb speech over and over again. And I thought like, oh, the joke is this is just like a commonplace speech that you're giving. Uh, I mean, I thought like basically the film felt a little bit like, you know, Greta doing pop culture criticism to me. And I thought it was in conversation, you know, with like her other movies. But, you know, you don't have to like everything, you know? 
Um, Greta Gerwig is my birthday twin. I, I, uh, she, she will be turning 40. I will be turning 37 on the same day. And I cherish that connection. Mm-hmm. And also everything she does. If you have not seen fucking Mistress America, that movie slaps up and down. I fucking love that movie. Plus, is anyone shocked that Lewis did not like Barbie? Because, you know, we, we know what version of femininity you love to see on a screen. Go okay? ahead. Yeah. It's, it's old. It's yep. staring out. It's staring out windows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stella <laughs> it's, Dallas, it's, it's, bitch. It's, it's, Barbara Stanwyck, thirty-seven, motherfucker. <laughs> it's yeah. someone stern in a turtleneck or like a severe coat. I have know? to actually clutch this table. I'm feeling so seen. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's our episode. So thank you to Joel for being here. Thank you thank so you. much for having me. Joel, my God, anytime. I mean, you're, yeah. one, of, one of my, Joel is family to me, but otherwise just come. If you just want to barge into the Zoom, whatever, go ahead. Absolutely. And thank you to Allie and AJ for being here. Uh, we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience. March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered 500 megabits internet for $39.99 per month, plus a $100 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.